Well, I just want to say that I'm very excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, your pastor, Blake, has been a tremendous encouragement to me. He's often sending me text messages of scripture and, and just letting me know he's praying for me. And so I'm tremendously thankful to Blake and for his friendship. And I am, I'm just so thankful to be with all of you this morning. And, and I'm excited to see the work that God is going to do, what he has already been doing and what he will continue to do here, at, here with Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. So uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer this morning. Lord God, as we, come, as we come to your word, your word which shows us you, our God, our creator, and our savior. Lord, your word which shows us the God before whom we will stand and give account. We pray that our ears would be attentive, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear your truth, to receive it into our hearts, and that our lives would be changed as a result. Lord, help us to love you more as we consider how you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever felt the pain of loneliness? The pain of loneliness. Have you ever carried a burden that those around you couldn't seem to understand? Have you ever been forsaken, abandoned, maybe by a friend or or someone you loved, someone who once loved you? The pain of loneliness is one of the most difficult things that we as human beings can possibly endure. And this is because as human beings, we weren't made to be alone. We were made for community. We were made for relationship with God and with one another. Loneliness, alienation, abandonment, these things come about because relationships are not working properly. Not working as God intended them to in the beginning before sin entered into the world. You see, it it is when sin entered into the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, It is there that we see the first distrust, the first blame shifting. It is there that we see relationships broken. And the most significant relationship that was broken on that tragic day in the Garden of Eden was our relationship with God, our relationship with God. But this morning, we're going to consider what Jesus Christ did to restore sinners like us to a right relationship with our God, to reconcile us to God, as Romans 5 says. And in order to better understand Christ's reconciling work, we're actually going to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus. We're going to actually look at a couple of passages. We're going to be in Leviticus 16 this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah 53. So be prepared to to turn around, flip through your Bibles this morning. And we're going to read from some of the Old Testament sacrificial rituals of the Day of Atonement. Because these ancient rituals God gave to his people Israel under the Old Covenant to help us understand what Jesus did on the cross on that hill outside of Jerusalem as he suffered and died there. 
And he gave them to Israel to help them understand something of how God would one day remove their sin as far as the east is from the west. To, under, to help them understand how God, how a holy and just God could be in fellowship with sinful and unholy beings such as us. So these, these rituals of the Day of Atonement foreshadowed and symbolized what Christ would later come and fulfill. As Hebrews 10.1 says, as our brother read for us earlier, speaking of the Old Testament, that, that the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. And then it goes on there in, in Hebrews to show how Christ fulfilled the types and shadows and symbolism of the sacrificial ceremonies of the Old Testament. And, and friends, I'll say this. If God has gone to such great care, if he's gone to such great care to show and tell us how he would forgive sinners, then isn't it incumbent upon us to, to study and to learn how, how he would go about forgiving us? We ought to care. It isn't enough for us merely to think, oh yes, God forgives sinners. How does this miracle come about? How does this happen? What we have here in the scriptures is, is, a, is a painting, a portrait of God's love. It's, it's showing us how he has, he has gone about to save us. And the closer we look at this portrait, the more we see the beauty of the work of salvation. And so just practically, right from the start, do you ever feel like, man, I, I want to love Jesus more? Brothers and sisters, the best way to love Jesus more is to see how he has loved us. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. And we see how Jesus loves us in Leviticus 16. As you're, as you're going through your Bible reading plan, you come to the book of Leviticus, just remember, it's not just a bunch of irrelevant rituals. It's, it's pointing to the Savior. It's telling us something about his work. Now, I'm not going to, just a heads up, I'm not going to go over all of the details of the rituals of the Day of Atonement here. These each of these uh, sacrifices were, were to teach the people of Israel something about God's forgiveness and, and the, the price of sin, the penalty that sin incurs, and what must be done in order for them to have fellowship with God. I'm going to focus on one aspect of the Day of Atonement, mainly the, the goat that was sent away, the goat sent away into the wilderness. And I'm going to focus on how sin brings alienation from God, but how the burden of sin removed opens the door to fellowship with God. So that's going to be the, the main focus this morning. And we're going to look at Leviticus 16, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Leviticus 16, verses 20 through 22. This will be our first passage we'll be looking closely at this morning. Leviticus 16, 20 through 22. Let's, let's read starting in verse 20. This is, this is speaking, giving directions to the high priest. It says, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. 
The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. The main idea that this this ritual teaches us is this, that the burden of sin leads to alienation from God. But the burden of sin removed brings fellowship with God. The burden of sin leads to alienation from God, but the burden of sin removed leads to fellowship with God. So our two main points this morning will be to consider the scapegoat, the symbolic sin bearer for God's people from Leviticus 16. And then secondly, going to Isaiah 53, we'll consider the fulfillment of the symbol. We'll consider Christ our scapegoat, Christ our sin bearer. So first of all, point number one, let's consider the ancient symbol. Let's consider the ritual of the scapegoat from Leviticus 16. And as, and as you're reading through Leviticus and you come to this, this goat that is the live goat, you know, it, all the other animals in this chapter have been slaughtered. Their blood has been spilled. And then, but here's this one, and initially you think, well, well this is the lucky animal. This one gets to live. It gets to go free. But as we take a closer look, this goat is not so lucky after all. This goat is a sin bearer. This goat is a cursed goat. Notice in verse 21 that before this goat is led away and set free in the wilderness, the high priest Aaron, Aaron at the time, was to lay both his hands on the goat's head. And then he confesses over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat. A similar thing would happen in some of the other sin offerings that we read of in the book of Leviticus. The sinner, or on the day of atonement here, the high priest, would lay their hands on the head of the animal that was about to be slain. And in doing so, they're identifying with the animal. That's what they're doing there. They're they're laying their hands on the animal, and it's showing that what's about to happen to this animal, this actually deserves to happen to me. But it also symbolizes a transfer of guilt from the sinner who's laying their hand on the animal to that animal. And this substitute, symbolically here, bearing their Guilt, bearing the consequences of their sin. The text says of the sins of the people, Aaron shall put them on the head of the goat. So what we have here is is substitution, a transfer of guilt ordained by God himself so that those who actually committed those sins would no longer be held liable. Look at verse 22, the first part of the verse. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself. Now to bear a physical load would have been one thing. To have a, a load of you know, sacks of flour or, or straw or maybe even a, a burden of, of bags of rocks to load that on the back of the goat. You know, the goat would have, would have maybe struggled under such a load, but to bear the weight of sin, that's another thing entirely. 
to carry the weight of even one offense against the holy God. That's an infinite burden. And that's because even the smallest infraction of God's law is still cosmic treason against the king of the universe. An infinity of wrath and judgment is tied to the smallest offense because of who it is that is being offended, whose law you are breaking. You know, God's law is not some city ordinance. You break a city ordinance, you must deal with the judgment of the city. You know, the city of Barling. But what's a city? What, what is a city ordinance? What are they compared with the federal government? Okay, now this is getting a little more serious. When you committed a federal crime, you've got to deal with the national government. That's a bit more serious. You've offended a higher power. But what is, what is a federal or a national government compared to the king of the universe? The creator to whom we owe our very existence and our every breath. The God who made us. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. To break his law. To break the law of the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Who is infinitely holy. Beyond our wildest imagination. That is a crime that we could never calculate. Here the sin bearer, the scapegoat, is loaded with not just the weight of one offense, but this poor, cursed goat is bearing the iniquity of all of God's people, the many, many sins of all of Israel. Before he's, he's led out of the camp, before the watching eyes of the Hebrew people, You know, as, as they're watching him being led out of the camp, they wouldn't have seen anything on his back. They wouldn't have seen an actual weight there. Maybe they did, wouldn't have necessarily seen the goat staggering and struggling along. What was happening was symbolic. The, you know, animals don't sin. This goat was innocent. And yet now he bore the weight of unfaithfulness, hatred, malice, envy, covetousness, theft, blasphemy, adultery, and many other sins. He carried the awful load on himself, the sin being transferred to him according to the instruction of God. And now God's judgment against sin was directed against the substitute, the crosshairs of condemnation, removed from each and every one of the sinners and all concentrated on to the sin bearer who now was laden down with their guilt. What must happen? This, this cursed goat must be removed from the camp. This, this goat laden down with all of these sins must be removed far away from the tabernacle of the holy God. It cannot be allowed to remain in the camp. It is to be exiled, to be banished from the camp. Along with the impending doom that hung over it. The goat must be led away, away from the tabernacle where God's holy presence rested, away from the people of God, removing their sins as far as the east is from the west, as far as they were concerned. That's what they would have seen. This goat was led away out of sight. The goat must not return to the camp, to be led far away into the wilderness. It must never bring that load of, of cursing and wickedness back into the camp. And so it must be taken away to 
what the text says, an, an uninhabited land. Literally in Hebrew, a land of cutting off. A land of cutting off. This goat, both literally and symbolically, was cut off from God and God's people. Separated. Alienated. The man who let it out on the wilderness abandons it there. Forsaken. The burden of sin leads to alienation for the sin bearer. Now imagine this goat there, left in the wilderness, far away from the hands that fed it, back in the camp of Israel, all alone among the barren rocks of the wilderness. The man who left it there, quickly making his way back to the camp. No one to care for this sin bearer. Only the, the desert vipers and the hungry dogs of the desert, the jackals, to hear its lonely cries. The sin bearer bearing the weight of sin, nothing to expect but judgment, wrath, curse. Now this goat, yes, it was not put to death by the priests in the temple, in the tabernacle, but to be left here in this place, in this land of cutting off, this uninhabited wasteland, what was this but a living death? A living death. We don't know if this goat would have survived the heat of the day. We don't, we're not told if, if God struck the goat dead. We're not, cold, we're not told if, if the desert sun and lack of water took the life out of this goat. Perhaps it, perhaps it lived long enough to see the last glimmers of the sunset disappearing over the horizon as the darkness cloaked the night before it was stalked and preyed upon by some ravenous predator. What does this show us? It shows us something by way of illustration of what sin deserves. Sin deserves alienation from God and God's people. It, it, shows, it would have showed the Israelites, it would have pictured before their eyes as they see this exiled goat, cursed and led away and abandoned, that they deserved to be cut off from God. It was their sins it was their sins. That was the reason this, this was happening to this animal. This, this would have taught them what they deserved, that they deserved to be forsaken to the living death, the death of hell, forsaken to eternal alienation from God. And this is a lesson for us too, because human nature hasn't changed. We still sin as, as the people of Israel did. God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All of us have offended against God. Sin still leads to alienation from God here in 2022. Sin is more serious than we imagine. God tells us in his word in Revelation 21 that where God's redeemed, purified people will live with him forever in, in heaven, we read this, but nothing unclean not meaning like physically dirty, but nothing unclean spiritually due to sin. Nothing unclean 
will ever enter it. Ever. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. God is too holy, too pure for sin to be in his presence. Better chances for a container of gasoline to survive on the surface of the sun than for a sinner in our sin to survive in the very presence of the holy God who is a consuming fire. The Lord Jesus, not not some angry God of the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus with nail-pierced hand says to us in the New Testament that it is he who will say on that day to many, holding out his nail-pierced hand, pointing to the lake of doom, depart from me. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. No more terrifying sentence in the entire Bible from the very lips of the one who hung on the cross, the king of love. If it is he, the most loving being in the universe, who is turning you away on that day, what hope is there? What hope is left? Jesus himself will say to many on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. A living death, forever alienated from God's kindness and fellowship, cut off from eternal life with God in his presence and with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. That is what sin deserves. That is what sin brings. That is the punishment that Jesus himself will sentence people to on the day of judgment. But notice, notice secondly, that the, the burden of sin removed, removed from God's people, opens the door for us to be accepted by God. This sin stands in the way of fellowship with God, but praise be to God, he has made a way. After this ritual and other rituals and sacrifices of the day, the people of Israel were considered spiritually clean. Look at verse 30 of of Leviticus 16. It says, You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. The burden of sin removed from us means that we're no longer unclean before God. We are now qualified to have fellowship with him. This Now, in reality, as, as our brother mentioned earlier, a goat cannot be a fitting substitute for sin. This is what the book of Hebrews was telling us, that you know, the blood of bulls and goats, it, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world, Hebrews, Hebrews 10 says that for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It is Christ who fulfills the ancient symbolism, even, even of this scapegoat. Christ the sin bearer. You know, we, we often think about the, Christ shedding his blood for us. But another aspect of the cross was the alienation that Christ suffered there for us. Christ the true sin bearer alienated for us, forsaken for us. 
And this is our second point. We've, we've, considered, we've considered the ancient symbol of the scapegoat. Now let's consider Christ, our sin bearer. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And you'll notice as we read some of these verses, the, the language of bearing sin, of being of, of iniquity and of transgressions being put on a sin bearer. This is picked up in this passage in, in Isaiah 53. This is one of the clearest and most profound prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament. As the prophet Isaiah speaking mysteries from God in the power of the Holy Spirit, he spoke of things he could foretell, he could see in, in shadow form. He spoke of this mysterious character, the suffering servant of God. This one was righteous, he was blameless, and yet he became a sin bearer to be numbered with the transgressors in order to make many righteous. Look with me at Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ had a burden laid upon him, just like the scapegoat, as Aaron would lay on that scapegoat the iniquity of all of, of God's people under the old covenant. Christ had a burden laid upon him, the infinite burden of sin. Look down at, to verse 12 of Isaiah 53, verse 12, the second to the last line, he bore the sin of many. He bore the sin of many. Christ is clearly portrayed here as a sin bearer who stands in the place of others suffering on their behalf, bearing the awful load of guilt and condemnation and curse that rightfully belonged to them the innocent for the guilty, so that they would not have to bear it, so that they would no longer have to fear God's judgment. He was counted a sinner, though he did no wrong, so that they could be counted righteous. This is, this is what you call, you know, uh, theologians will call this the, the idea of penal substitution, substitutionary atonement. And I, it's, it's interesting. You will hear some people uh, even, even in churches, kind of kicking against this idea. Like, oh, like I had a pastor once tell me, yeah, this, this, there are many theories of the atonement and this, this penal substitution, this was invented by you know, people in the, in the Middle Ages. This was, this was a, a later development that, that people thought up to try to explain what was happening at the cross. But my friends, I would argue this is from Leviticus. 
This is from the Old Testament. This is, this is how God promised before Christ even showed up on the scene, how he would atone for our sins, how he would, how he would make the guilty righteous. This is not some invention of man. This is the truth of God. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 11. We see that he was numbered with the transgressors so that his people could be numbered with the righteous. Verse 11 says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. How? For he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. It does not say that he will help them bear their iniquities. It doesn't say that he'll lend a hand and, and help them along. That, that they'll do 50% and that Jesus will do 50%. It doesn't say that, that Jesus will take the next 99 steps after they've taken the first step. That's not what it says. He, all by himself, will bear their iniquity. It, it doesn't say that he'll stand by and give them a motivational speech to inspire them to... To, to try harder as, as they try to work off their guilt, as they try to do enough good to outweigh their bad, as they try to earn their way back into God's favor. And, and Jesus is this kind of motivational speaker to, to urge them along. No, he stoops down from heaven to earth. He takes the burden off the back of his people and it is placed on his own. And he bears their iniquity, all of it, for them. He was crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 5. When we, we the sinners, should have been crushed under the awful weight of God's wrath, he was crushed. Now the New Testament picks up this language, this very imagery of Christ, our sin bearer, which, you know, is foreshadowed in Leviticus. It's the, the focus is, is clarified a little bit, kind of like when you're, have you ever looked through a microscope and you're, you've got to kind of turn the knob and you can focus in a little bit? That's kind of what, what's happening here. In Isaiah, the picture's clarified a little bit. And then all of a sudden, when we come to the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.24 brings it into full focus. It quotes Isaiah 53 and it says, it says of Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. As he died there on the cross, Jesus wasn't merely giving us an example to follow. He wasn't just providing us a bit of inspiration to try harder. He was bearing our sin, doing what we could never do for ourselves, being crushed under the weight of justice in order to bring salvation to us. Just as the scapegoat was alienated from God's presence, cut off from God and God's people, so was Christ. Think about the scapegoat being led outside the camp. Jesus, as Hebrews 13 says, he was crucified outside the camp. Picking up on that, that imagery. Isaiah 53, 8 says that he, verse 8, he was cut off. From the land of the living. The scapegoat was led to a land of cutting off. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. 
sin leads to alienation from God. God cannot endure it in his presence. As Christ was burdened down with the sins of many on the cross, the Father turned his face away from the Son. Where before there had been the proclamation from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now Christ on the cross made the sin bearer numbered among the transgressors and we hear no affirmations of approval from heaven above. Instead, the very sky grows black and the sun is darkened, ashamed to cast its blessed light upon the head of him who was made a curse for us. The whole earth is clothed in darkness as Christ suffers in his body and in his soul the infinite wrath and curse of God due to our sin. In three hours, Christ suffered more than any sinner ever will in hell. He bore the sin of many. Hear his cry of abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On him was laid the iniquity of us all. He voluntarily out of love for the glory of God, for the joy set before him, out of a heart of compassion and love and mercy for sinners, he received this unimaginable burden, this burden we will never know how heavy it was. We can't even begin to imagine. And it was not just his body that died. His soul suffered the hellish torment of a living death under God's wrath. Look at Isaiah 53.10. It says that his soul made an offering for guilt. Verse 11 speaks of the anguish of his soul. Verse 12 says he poured out his soul to death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should have been our cry. That should have been what we cried from the, down the hallways of hell, abandoned for eternity under the displeasure of God. It was we who deserved to ask that only to receive no answer. But Christ, the very Son of God in human flesh, these words came from his parched lips on the cross. Christ, Son of God, our sin bearer. Well, what does this mean for you this morning? What does this mean for you and I? Well, the burden of sin leads to alienation from God, but through Christ, having the burden of sin removed means that as we sang a moment ago, once his enemies, we can have a seat at his table. We can be welcomed into fellowship with our God. Having that sin removed, having our uncleanness taken away through the sacrifice of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him to be sin who, uh, for us. He, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our penalty for those of us who believe upon the Son is paid in full. It was paid in full when he said, it is finished. 
And this means that there is nothing left for us to do, nothing left for us to bear, no penalty left for us to pay. As Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that the Roman Catholic Church cannot give. Even the the leading Roman Catholic apologists, the best they can offer is, I hope one day to have no condemnation. But the word of God tells us, therefore there is now no condemnation. Because what Christ has done, he's not, he's not, on the cross he didn't say it has begun. And now if people do what they need to do, they can finish their salvation. No, he said it is finished. It is finished. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But notice, it is for those who are in Christ Jesus. And my question to you this morning is, are you in Christ Jesus? I'm not asking if you, whether or not you're in a church. I'm not asking whether or not you are in, in Christian service. I'm asking, are you in Christ Jesus? Have you, not just do you know a lot about Jesus. Could you, you know, explain the good news to someone? Have you been baptized? I'm not asking that. I'm not asking if you've walked an aisle or prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm asking, are you in Christ Jesus through faith? Have you looked away from from yourself and your righteousness? And is your only hope for acceptance with God in him? Not in the way you feel. I'll be transparent with you. For many years, I struggled because I was not truly looking to Christ and his finished work for salvation. I was looking to how sincere I was when I prayed the sinner's prayer. And whenever I would have doubts about my salvation, where would I look? It wasn't to Christ because I wasn't truly trusting him. I I would look to myself and I would think to myself, I wonder if I didn't do something right Did I not pray the sinner's prayer with enough tears and emotion and sincerity? Friends, we must repent of our sin, turn away from sin, and also turn away from our righteousness, turn away from our virtue, and and just recognize that we don't have what it takes, and we will never have what it takes to be acceptable to God in and of ourselves. But praise be to God, in Christ, Christ has done everything. And we need only look to him, trust in his finished work. Just recognizing, Jesus, I need that. I need what you've done for me. I'm giving up, and I'm looking to you. That is what it means to believe, looking away from self, looking to Christ. God doesn't call you to to get your acts together, to to improve yourself before you, before you approach him. I've heard stories, and indeed, indeed I've done this a few times myself. Oh, I can't, I can't pray. I need to show God I'm serious first. You know, I can't just, you know, I've just sinned. I, I, have, to, I have to do, you know, work my way back into God's favor, and then maybe he'll hear my prayers, and then maybe he'll take me seriously. Brothers and sisters, friends, Never anything in us can make us acceptable to God. The only reason we can come 
It's because of Jesus, because of the sin bearer and the, the way he has opened wide open to the worst of sinners. If you do not believe, if you are not in Christ, then, then you must bear the weight of your own sin forever and ever. You must look forward to hearing the last words of Jesus to you being, depart from me. And so friend, don't put this off. If you're not sure whether or not you're in Christ, if you're not sure if you're a believer, the, the word of God was written to us so that we may know that we may have life. We can know. We can have assurance of salvation. I would encourage you, if, if you don't know whether or not you are truly saved this morning, talk to Brother Blake. Talk to me. Talk to one of the, one of the members here of, of Chaffee Crossing and just be open about it. You would be surprised at how many people wrestle with whether or not they're saved. Don't let, don't let the fear of what people might think of you, um, you know, make you not have that conversation. Listen, on that day when you're standing before God, you will be glad that you didn't care about what people thought of you. Come and, and get this sorted out if, if that is what you need this morning. What about, what about us in our in our relationship with God, when we find ourselves having sinned, what do we do? As I mentioned a moment ago, don't clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. What does the old hymn say? Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark spot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, as, we, as you think about that verse, maybe that's a familiar verse for many of you, but have you ever noticed that it says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins? It, it would almost make more sense if it says like he's, he's gracious and kind to forgive us our sins. And, and that is true. But why does, why does it say that he's faithful and and just to forgive sin. How, how can David, think of King David, how can he use his position of, of power as the king of Israel to steal the wife of one of his subjects, and you know the story, adultery and murder. How can he do this, and how can God not punish such a man and, and sentence him to the, the punishment that his sins deserve? How can David have a place in God's favor, a place in God's heaven, murdering tyrant and adulterer that he was. Does God not care about injustice? Do, you think, do we think that he, he just winks at sin and kind of sweeps it under the rug if it's one of his people who's committing the sin? How can God forgive a king Manasseh who at the end of his life of wickedness, he's probably one of the most evil kings in the entire Old Testament, I mean, 2 Kings 21, 16 says that Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides the sin that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This guy was, was the captain of, of leading people into evil, leading people to hate God, murdering tyrant, and yet he, he repented at the end of his days and God forgave him. God, is God an unjust judge? Never let it be said. 
Never let it be said. This is, this is why Romans 3 tells us that Christ's death on the cross was to demonstrate not just the love of God, not just the graciousness of God, but it was also to demonstrate God's righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over sins that were previously committed, passed over David's sin. He didn't give David what his sins truly deserved. The judge passed that sentence on to one who was to come, Jesus Christ, the sin bearer. And, and friends, our sins are forgiven the same way. We may not have done exactly what David or Manasseh have done, but we must come in the same way as David and as Manasseh. Think of Christ, bloodied and battered, son of God, staggering under the weight of a cross designed for only the worst of criminals. And he has done no wrong, yet here he is, bearing the sins of others for the glory of God to demonstrate God's righteousness, Romans 3. Christ goes willingly, not forced. This is not cosmic child abuse. He goes willingly to demonstrate the righteousness, his righteousness, and the righteousness of his Father. Because the glory of God is worth it to him. God the Father gives his beloved Son up to the mocking and spitting of the soldiers and the jeers of the crowds. He gives him to drink the cup of wrath, the hellish wrath that we deserved. He drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Because he would be just in justifying the ungodly. God does not sweep sin under the rug. If you think that, look to the cross. God does not wink at sin. Just look at the cross. There we see the righteousness of God displayed for all time. Every sin will be punished, either in the sinner or in the sin bearer. God would not compromise his justice one iota, even when it cost him giving up his only begotten son to the horrors of the cross. And he will not compromise his justice on the day of judgment when sinners stand before him left with no excuse. And also he will not compromise his justice whenever sinners come to him and confess their sins. Therefore, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Because God is, if we've come to Christ by faith in him, he promises pardon, Christ having borne our sins in himself, paid the full penalty, paid the full penalty. And God does not punish one sin twice. He does not punish the same sin twice. And so as those who, have, who are under the blood of Christ, as those who, whose sins have been borne by the sin bearer, he doesn't, he doesn't say, yeah, you know, I, I know I already punished that sin, but I feel like punishing it again today. No, my friends, we can, we can be assured of his pardon because of Jesus, the sin bearer. We can come to him knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the believer as well, I would also leave you with this thought. For you who have found forgiveness at the cross and, and for you maybe who are still outside of Christ this morning, and you haven't really thought much about how serious sin is. Let the thought of Christ as our sin bearer cause you to hate sin all the more. 
we don't take sin as seriously as we should. And this is because we don't see how seriously God takes sin. We, we're all prone, you know, guilty people are prone to downplay their own offenses. I see this in my kids. I've got four kids. Uh, you know, I, I hear, I, I see the, the hitting and the slapping. And, um, you know, one says, to, when, when I say, what's going on here? And it's always what the other one did. Or, or you know, I, I just touched the other person. I just, I just tapped them on their head. All of a sudden, a, a, a blow to the head of punch becomes a, a tap. We're, we're all prone, though, to downplay our own sin. We don't see how seriously it, it really is. If you want to know how serious sin is, look to the cross. It's because we don't come to grips with, with how serious sin is and what sin does that we're prone to believe the devil's lie. See, when Satan comes to tempt you, he doesn't, he doesn't want you to know how serious the sin is that you're about to, that you're considering committing. Satan wants, to, wants us to believe that, you know, it's just a little sin. It's not going to do much harm. Nobody will know. This is, this is not like a, maybe it's not an offense against someone else. It's not hurting anybody. It's just a little sin. Just a little sin. And if you have a cheap view of grace, if you have a God who just winks at sin and just sweeps it under the rug, you'll buy that lie. You'll, you'll think, well, sin is no big deal. Like, God can forgive it easily. Therefore, I can, I can afford to do a little bit. Don't want to be too holy. Christian, this is why we need theology. We need the truth. You know, theology is not for the seminarians. Not for them alone. It's, it's for all of us. The doctrine of the atonement is for you. It's to help you when Satan tries to come to you and tell you that a little sin won't matter. You need to know the doctrine of the atonement so that you can say, no, I see. I see what little white lies did to Jesus on the cross. I see what a little lustful look did to Jesus on the cross. I see what, what fantasizing about ungodliness covetousness in our hearts, even if it's not acted upon, I see what that did to Jesus. That's not no big deal. I love the words of the old song. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Friends, don't ever think that, that theology is impractical or unimportant. We're called to love God with all our heart and our minds. So I'd encourage you, study the doctrine of the atonement. I'm sure Brother Blake has some great books if you want to dig more deeply into this doctrine. I know I do. Study passages like Leviticus 16, like Isaiah 53. Ponder them, meditate on the words. Memorize them. And next time Satan comes to you and, and tries to tell you that a little look won't matter, quote those verses. Open your Bible. Read and consider what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord help us 
to love him more. May he help us to, to recognize how he has loved us and seeing the, the lengths and the depths which he dove to rescue us from our sin, seeing what it cost him. As we meditate upon that, as Ephesians 3 said, Paul prayed that the, that the church would know the, the depths and lengths and he's giving out all these dimensions to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We need to know. And the more we know his love, the more we cannot help but loving him in return, the more easily it will be to say no to sin. And those of us, through Christ our sin bearer, those of us who have believed, we can rejoice, we can be thankful to have our burden lifted, to find access to God, reconciliation with God, fellowship with God, never to be abandoned, never to be alienated, never to be separated from his presence, never to feel the pain of loneliness the same way ever again, considering how Christ was forsaken for us so that we would not be forsaken, so that we could claim the promise, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. The burden of sin leads to alienation from God, but the burden of sin removed, laid on Christ, the sin bearer, brings fellowship with God. Through him, who, we who believe, as, as the book of Jude says, we are brought near, brought near, and he will present us one day faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Let's pray. Lord God, help us not to be merely those who can talk about your love, talk about it as some kind of abstract idea, talk about, you know, just, just throw out, oh yeah, Jesus saves. Lord, help us to be so deeply gripped and affected by the love that you have shown us that we can't just speak about these things without emotion, that these things Lord, grip our hearts, captivate us with a love that is stronger than love for anything in this world, a love that is stronger than life itself. Oh, Lord God, we confess our love for you is often cold, but we thank you, Lord, that your love for us does not change, that you love us with an everlasting love. But Lord God, help us, help us as we kneel at the foot of the cross as we consider how you have loved us, help us not to be cold and callous. Help us, help us not to look at sin the same anymore. Help us to hate that which cost you that price. Help us to run to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.